In-depth journalism in the Memphis community, The Daily Memphian is of Memphis, not just in Memphis, and seeks to tell the stories of this city. TheDailyMemphian.com. Truth in place. Today on Destination Delicious, I have in the studio with me DJ Naylor, who is the owner of Celtic Crossing, and Patrick Riley, who is the chef owner of the Majestic Grill. They are here because this is the St. Patrick's Day Destination Delicious podcast. Welcome, guys. Good to be here. Great to be here. Okay, Patrick, I want to say hello to you so you can say hello to the folks and they know your voice. Hi, everybody. DJ. How's it going there? How's everybody? <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a little bit deeper. We'll, uh, we'll call them by name to start out with. Um, DJ, what got you to Memphis? I emigrated in 94 from Ireland to Boston and through various soccer connections in Memphis, uh, soccer coaches that lived here, I used to visit them from Boston and I ended up moving here from Boston, which I don't regret for a minute. When was that? When did you move to Memphis? Moved to Memphis in 2000. And you came here, do you play, prof- no, not professional soccer, or did you? I, I still play a lot, but I played, a, you know, college level back then. But mm-hmm. it was just that I enjoyed Memphis. I felt like it was more, the hospitality of Memphis for me was more akin to Ireland than, say, it would be in Boston. Doors don't stay open in Boston. Now, did you open Celtic or did you buy it? Was it already open? Um, we, we opened it. We bought what was previously the Glass Onion location. Nice. That's right. And uh, opened it in 2005. Yeah, all these things we forget. And Patrick, you are, you're getting close to 20 years here now? Yeah, I moved here in 2000. I actually came here for the weekend, but um, been here ever since. I came here ostensibly to to, uh, work for Gibson Guitar. And um, originally I was supposed to go to Nashville. And thank God that didn't happen. And um, <laughs> so, but I ended up in Memphis with the uh, Gibson Lounge. And, and I, so we opened that in 2001, that summer. And then uh, I was there for two or three years and then ended up opening the Majestic in 06. So you're coming up on, uh, I remember the 10th. So you're 13 years We're now. We're 13 years now. And we're starting to plan the 15-year anniversary. And you came to Memphis by way of Orlando, right? I was in Orlando most previous to that. And then I'd been in Chicago and Boston and New York and L.A. and traveled a lot as well. Now, where are you from in Ireland? Dublin, just outside Dublin. A little town called Leakslip. And uh, DJ, you are from? I'm from the West Coast, so I'm a culture compared to Patrick. You're a what? A culture. I'm from the country. Patrick's oh. from the city. I'm actually from Kildare, which is part of the country, so a Dubliner would never call me a, <laughs> never call me a Dubliner, but. Okay. Um, tell me an Irish joke, Patrick. You want to think of one? Oh, wow. I, did I put you on the spot? You did, but did. you know, funny enough. Um, I was going to see which one of you could tell me the better Irish joke, but uh, I didn't warn you. Okay, so a guy's out playing golf and uh, hits his ball into the woods and he walks into the woods and he picks up this lamp. A lamp? A lamp. And he picks it up and he's looking for his ball. He picks this lamp up and he picks it up and a genie pops out. And he says, uh, genie says, I'll give you three wishes. And he said, uh, oh, genie says, that's great. He says, uh, uh, he says, for my first wish, he says, I'd like a pint of Guinness that never empties. 
and pint of Guinness appears in his hand. He takes a big mouthful out of it and it fills back up. He says, Jeez, that's great. He says, I'll have two more of those. <laughs> that's pretty funny. Okay. DJ, can uh, you top that one? No. No, just can't <laughs> no. do it? No. So the deal with Guinness. Let's let's just get right on into Irish food and drink because that's what we're that's what this is about. Guinness, I'm guessing both of you, that's your that's probably your beer choice, am I right? Yes. Yes, absolutely. I did my apprenticeship actually at the Guinness Brewery in Dublin. Your apprenticeship as a chef? Uh-huh. Yes. Back in the day, uh, so this would be in the early 80s. Mm-hmm. Um Guinness had I mean, Guinness has been around since 1760, whatever. And then, uh, but it was a huge employer. It was, it would be akin to what the, what the auto industry was in Detroit back in the day. Wow, yeah. Uh, so a job at Guinness was a, was a great job. And they had uh, um, dining rooms. So they had the executive dining rooms for all the board of directors and had their own china and silver tankards and everything made from scratch and smoked salmon and prawns. And, and then we'd feed 600 people in two, two, so twelve hundred people a day, and that was the. So you were feeding the employees, feeding everybody, right. yeah. And uh, so I worked in the corporate dining room for two years as an apprentice. You know, you're you're very well regarded among chefs in town as as an excellent chef, and I don't say that with that kind of. I didn't mean to have that surprise in my voice. I know this. I've eaten your food, but it's something that uh, people will you know always say, and you know, and Patrick is this really well-trained chef that is just, he can do fabulous things. I know you've cooked at Beard House at least once. Mm-hmm. and People are very kind to me. I don't know why. You don't know why? Mm-hmm. Is that why you said maybe because you're very kind to people? Maybe. I've, I've noticed that. And and now, DJ, you said you don't cook. You've, you're not a chef, but no, but you no. like food. I do. And I actually like going in the kitchen with my with my folks in the, back at Celtic. Mm-hmm. I enjoy going in there. I find something humbling and enjoyable about knowing what what goes in our dishes and how they're put together and I have appreciation for it when you grew up DJ uh what was like what was a typical uh breakfast did you have like a true Irish breakfast in your house well I guess you might be referring to like a full Irish no not at home I'm, I'm one of 12 children and oh, our wow. meals went accordingly so you did cereal at breakfast time before you went to school you came home for your dinner Mm-hmm. at one o'clock and then we had tea in the evening and the evening time might be bacon and sausage uh, dinner at one o'clock was the big meal and we would have you know cabbage bacon and cabbage not corned beef and cabbage bacon and cabbage we'd have maybe fish there was a set schedule when you had a big family like that so we knew what we had monday through friday so you had, but now you're talking about bacon that is the, the thicker bacon, thicker, not like the type of bacon people think of as not Not breakfast. as we would reference it here, more a big ba- brisket of bacon, bacon is boiled, um, boiled well, bacon. It, so in Ireland, um, everything, bacon is a generic term. So anything that is salted pork mm-hmm. is called bacon, except the leg, which is called ham. So you would have boiling bacon, which would be a shoulder. So you'd take a, a shoulder or a neck and, and um, you'd cure it, and then that would be your boiled bacon. Or you could do a, a brisket of, of pork or belly or, or whatever. But if you did a leg, it's called a ham. So a leg would be what we would think of, what, as a shoulder here? Or, or like an actual ham? An actual like ham. A, like yeah. a Sunday ham. Yeah, it would be a Sunday, exactly. Well, what about the one you would boil? How would that compare to something we would eat in a... Very a... similar. I mean, it's just, it's a... Um, 
some people would dry, wet cure it, some people would dry cure it. Uh, when my father was growing up in in long in the country, uh, they would salt a, a pig every every October, and that would be their meat for the winter. So you'd have the whole a whole pig hanging up in the kitchen. Yeah, and he called you a city guy. I don't think I don't think that was going on in the city. It wasn't was happening it? in the city. Yeah. No, but uh, so so bacon that we call bacon. Um, uh, breakfast bacon, which you call rashers of bacon, that mm-hmm. would be loin bacon. So that's the thick bacon that you're talking about. Now, the uh, is there any kind of uh, Irish barbecue? I remember, you know, Silky Sullivan was always doing these, trying to find where the barbecue was everywhere else, the equivalent to barbecue. Anything? N- n- not really. Um, it's it's an interesting culture, but it's there's it's a the style of cooking barbecue. Is in low and slow, is is a common theme. That's throughout, you know, every culture has a different, you know, ways of cooking tough cuts of right. meat for a long time. Right. So, and Ireland's no exception. So, what Ireland would do is they would take the shoulder of pork and they would salt it and then boil it for six hours. Um, you would have smoked ham, though. I mean, there was mm-hmm. there was certainly a lot of smoked ham, but the pulled pork thing or the ribs thing mm-hmm. that's that that was never. In our no ribs, n- never grown up. Yeah, would I yeah. did I see pork ribs? So what was dinner or well, a meal like at your home? Well, it's because there was ten kids in our house. So. Wow. Yeah. Um. So similar. So breakfast was uh, porridge in the morning usually, um, and then we didn't come home for lunch or for dinner in, in the afternoon like a lot of people did because we were at points east and west. And uh, so we would come home from school at three o'clock and we would have leftover porridge for a snack. And then we would have our dinner at six o'clock when my father would come home. And your dinner was, was it typically similar to what, yeah. what he's talking about? Yeah. So it really is a lot of cabbage and potatoes. Lots of potatoes. Um, yes. Rarely have a meal without potatoes, right? Oh, yeah. We were Rarely. in, um, we were, um, when Denny and I went home, it was her first, I don't know if it was her first or second trip home, but. We went home to, back to Ireland to meet the family, and uh, she were having all my sisters, or a bunch of my sisters and brothers, we rented a house. There was 10 or 12 or 15 or us or something. Anyway, we're having dinner. So I'm making dinner, and I'm making uh, carbonara, making fettuccine carbonara, and a big salad for everybody. My sister puts a pot of potatoes on. <laughs> and Denny's like, we're having pasta. And she's like, and? <laughs> well, I think I would have been with Denny on that. You don't think of potatoes and pasta together, though, mm-hmm. unless you're making gnocchi, maybe. But it would be, that was typical. You that would have is, potatoes yeah, yeah. with anything. With pretty much everything. It is, it is yeah, it's cliche for a reason. So. The, um, well, corned beef and cabbage, is that really a traditional Irish dish? I mean, I've it, never it's seen more, it. It's more of an immigration invention. And I think we, uh, we'd always... Go back to the Jewish butchers in New York, and yep, they were true. the ones that resolved that for the Irish immigrants who couldn't necessarily afford the more expensive cut from from the pig. It's true. Uh, the the um, so beef was a, uh, I mean, this goes back to the 1500s to the uh, what was called the um, the Beef Act or the uh, stamp. I think it was called the Beef Act that uh, Queen, during Queen Elizabeth the first time. Mm-hmm. And uh, so this was before sort of uh, Cromwell and the plantation and Ireland was still kind of quasi still independent and had its own sort of culture going on. Um, And Ireland had um, 
a huge abundance of green fields and cattle and and beef and pigs and also had a very low tax on salt so um Britain, Britain's farmers were kicking up a fuss because all of this beef was on the hoof was getting imported from Ireland and driving the cost of beef down. And so the, um, the English decided that they would uh, ban the import of uh, carcasses of beef, live on the hoof beef. And you couldn't ship it in those days, freeze it or anything. Right. There was none of that going on. So uh, the Irish, being the clever clogs that they were, um, decided that they, because salt was so cheap, they would salt all this beef. And then they created this huge market for beef, salt beef, corned beef, that was shipped to, to the colonies, shipped to India, shipped to Australia, shipped to America on all these boats. So when the Irish emigrated, you know, and this was 200 years later, this, this industry was, I mean, Ireland was the biggest exporter of beef in the world at one point. Um, and... So when these Irish immigrants got on this boat and to go to the New World, all they had was, was this salt beef. And then, of course, once they got to America, and then they went to the, to, to the Jewish butchers who were making, you know, uh, corned beef brisket. And, um, and, and there was this, they were all living in, next to each other in the right. same tenements. And, and that's how that culture sort of came of corned beef and cabbage. But it's, um, yeah, it was on the way out. Well, so now, that, and that would have been... 150 years ago, I guess. Well, 18, 18, 1840, 1850, something around then was when the mass immigration was. Black it started 49. about 1850. Black right. 49. The famine, yeah. it's dated to 1860, 1870. Yeah. With the, the, or multiple famines finishing in about 1880. Yeah. But a million people emigrated and about a million and a half died. Yeah. A million and a half died? Uh-huh. Oh, in, from in, famine, in Ireland, from yeah. Famine, yeah. yeah. I didn't know there were that many people who died. Well, that's when well, Ireland was uh, population was touching eight million people. Yeah, so right. we're heading for eight million. Yeah, the population of the island of Ireland now is at its record in the last hundred years, and it's six point six million. Is it six point six? Well, it's four point. I did this for a thing yesterday. It's four point five in the in the south, and it's another one point six, one point seven up north. So the island is six point six. So the population was greater around 1860 oh, gosh, yeah. than it is now. 18, I think 1840 probably peaked. Huh. I think, yeah. Pretty incredible, isn't it? That is incredible. I didn't know we were going to have United a history States. class I didn't here. either. <laughs> I, yeah, well, well, as I said, we just sort of, we're, we're, we're getting ready to talk about whiskey. We'll, we'll move go. on into something. And, but, you know, Irish whiskey, for example, something I just found out about it, is that, one, it, it's disputably, but apparently with good reason to argue about it, the oldest whiskey in the world, maybe older than scotch, there's a school that says scotch, another one that says Irish whiskey, and it was the most popular spirit, most popular spirit in the world at one time. It was being imported everywhere, exported to everywhere. Mm -hmm. Were you aware of this? Yes, I did this in one of my tastings. The first known written documented proof of whiskey making uh, according to British records, is the death of a nobleman in Ireland who died from drinking whiskey one Sunday morning. And he was someone, a landowner of some sort, and that dates back to about 1454. And the earliest written document in Scotland is in the 1470s. Huh. So we think that the Irish, who we think got a lot of the uh, whiskey-making talents from the monks, 
mm-hmm. the monks coming to Ireland. Uh, that's where they got it from. That we think we like to think we're the first, but we think we're the first with a lot of things. Yeah. Well, a lot of people like to think they're the first, but I mean, I, I did because I, we're going to for people listening. Um, Destination Delicious and Celtic Crossing are teaming up for an Irish whiskey tasting on March 14th. Um, I don't know if tickets will still be available when you hear this. Of course, we record a few days before you hear it, but you can go to dailymemphian.com and find out, and please join us if they are. But I've been doing a little research on Irish whiskey, and I came across that and was surprised. I had no idea that it would have been older than scotch, but it seems like plenty of people make the argument that it was, like you're saying here. Yeah, it's uh, it's and it's right now it's booming. We've reached reached our all time uh, exports last year. Uh, they surpassed one billion dollars exports to the U.S. last year, just the U.S. alone. So Ireland Irish whiskey is booming. It's one of the fastest growing spirits in the world. And just going back to your our event next Thursday, I actually finalized the list of whiskeys, and I'd be glad to say there's quite a few whiskeys that. I personally haven't tasted so I'm really excited with all the different red breast and uh, all the different iterations of red breast, these sort of new age whiskeys. And I've got the whole Temple Bar collection, which is very nice, which you don't see often around here. So well, there's a lot of newer whiskeys. I think that it's something, you know, there was a time, I mean, I, I, of course there was a time I didn't like bourbon either, but then I, there was a, for longer, I didn't like Irish whiskey. And I just, there was something, you think about it, y'all grew up drinking it. You know, we didn't so much around here. Um, but a few years ago, someone said, if you like bourbon, try this whiskey. And the one that they happened to give me was, was Sexton, which I know you said it seems a little rough, but it didn't seem rough to me at all. I thought it was nice. And then I started trying some more after that. And I really enjoy Irish whiskey. And I think it's, I think it's a whole new, it's not a new spirit, of course, but for people around here, I think it's a a new thing for them to try and to start to really appreciate so i hope that uh that we have a robust and happy crowd out to try these things too oh we will yeah i'm excited to go you coming oh yeah oh good we've good. got we've got some common favorites uh the powers whiskey i know patrick loves powers i love the powers john lane edition a dublin whiskey um we've got quite a few we join common i'm now become particularly a tullamore dew fan especially the 12 and the Caribbean cast, we're, you know, we're featuring those. But, uh, and the pot still, the John Lane pot still is one that we like to enjoy. See, I kind of liked that Middleton that I tried at your place yesterday. Of course <laughs> you did. Yes. <laughs> yes. I thought that was pretty nice. I can remember, this would have been five years ago on a St. Patrick's Day. I was out with a group of people and everybody was drinking, tell them we're due. And I said, ah, you know, I'll take some mixed with ginger ale. And everybody at the table was, what? You can you can mix Irish whiskey with ginger ale? And then somebody said, of course you do. That is called a powers and ginger. People do it all the time in, in Ireland. And I said, ah, so there. That's true. Yeah. yeah. My father used to drink powers with red lemonade. What is red lemonade? It's a peculiar to Ireland uh, soft drink. It's a it's a carbonated soda. It's, it's like Sprite or ginger ale. I mean, not ginger ale. It's like Sprite. Or Seven Up, um, which is called over there is called White Lemonade, mm-hmm. and then Red Lemonade is a is a is a, a, a brown version of it. So it's like a, a, a brown soda, like red. It's called you know red soda. So is it just like a Coke kind it's, of? It's it no, it has the same sort of flavor profile as Seven Up, maybe, but a little richer. Hmm. Lucasade maybe? No, no, no. Lucasade no. was like uh, Powerade. That's that's, that's okay. You had red lemonade growing up, yeah? I'm sure I did, yeah. Um, my father would order a pint of Guinness and order a shot of Paddy 
while waiting for his Guinness, oh, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And if they didn't have Paddy, he would want a Powers. So that's an important distinction. You generally wouldn't find our parents drinking that much Jemison like the rest of the world does now. No, no. Jemison is what you used in, uh, for toothaches and uh, Irish coffees. Well, see, that was the thing. When we, the only, it was either Jemison or Bushmills. Those were the only two Irish whiskeys I ever remember right. trying when I was younger. And they just, it just wasn't a, a flavor profile that I enjoyed. But now, I mean, you get older, your palate changes anyway, but then there are so many more things to try too. And yeah, there's yeah, a huge amount. things, right. And Jameson's come out with some really good um, uh, variations. Of the, they're, they're taking um, their whiskeys and they're aging it in, in beer barrels from a brewery down the street in Cork, um, in Middleton, actually. And um, so they have this black um, cask. Uh, um, they have the stout cask. Stout and the cask, cask, and they have a dark and IPA we have cask. Those. You're gonna have that? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's and it's good stuff. It's. I love it when winemakers do that when they get the old bourbon barrels and they. Right. I, I just think it's. I mean, it's not everything. You don't want to drink that wine every day, but it's fun to play with that. So so you're gonna have a whiskey that's uh, aged in a stout cask. You've gotten it whiskey that'll be aged in ex port barrels, ex sherry barrels, yeah. ex bourbon barrels, ex uh, Ca- Californian red wine barrels. So it's it's all sort of inter intertangling, isn't it? Yeah. Really, you know, like they're all doing sharing each other's, you know, ingredients. This is just going to be so much fun. I think so. It, yeah. it really will be. I've been getting more excited. So about I don't this think already. I told Patrick, but we, you know, James Fox, um, uh, the the store there on College Green, whiskey shop. Yes, I do indeed. Okay, yeah. so there's a lad coming out from the store. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, and he's just so knowledgeable. This guy, he's doing a, he's doing a, a whiskey sommelier course in London. And he took me in the back for a private taste. And I said, would you like to come to Memphis for a few days? He goes, I'd love to. The home of the blues. I can't wait. So he's oh, all excited. He arrives on Tuesday. And he'll love it here because it will be something fun yeah. for him. It's- I'd like to make it something, a, re- a reoccurring thing. So this is sort of like a, a stepping stone. Oh, yeah, yeah. And James Fox apparently is the oldest whiskey seller in uh, Dublin. Yes. Huh. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Look what I know. Look, yeah, look I, there. Look I did at not, that. I did not know that. Oh, well, I only recently learned that too. But, yeah, <laughs> I have to admit. I, I, I was just blown away by his knowledge, but not, not even that, but he just pointed like the, the way whiskey's changing now, the, the, the new age, the Middleton have a new small batch every two months now. So what you tasted with me wow. uh, recently, you, they're now going, finishing them in these, what's called virgin oak. So they take a forest in Ireland, Kilkenny or somewhere in the south, they obviously cut down some trees, and I'm sure they plant 10 for everyone they cut down. And they're finishing the whiskey in these forests, and it gives it a certain profile. Hmm. So it's ex-bourbon finished with these virgin Irish oak uh, casts. So it's, it's amazing where we're heading with whiskey and whiskey production and finishing and aging. It's amazing that there's that much going on in a bottle of whiskey or in a bottle of wine or in a bottle of beer. I think it, it, or in the fact that, do you have, because I do, and I admit it how first world and ridiculous it is, but do you have a favorite shape of ice? Can you believe that we talk about things like this right now, that I prefer my ice this way instead of that way? That That's old ice. That's yesterday's ice. I want my new ice, you know. I like the little... Uh, one and a half inch cubes. Mm-hmm. Do you have a, you have a preference? I um, 
It depends on what I'm drinking. It actually. does. I know. It's uh, crap. Why I, should I, it matter? That is so terrible, isn't it? It's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I think, DJ, I, I'm not sure you have, you're looking at me like I really don't where care. Was I, I, I was thinking more I along do. the lines of we're willing to try, I think us three here are willing to to experiment. Like, hey, I'll, I'll try that or I'll try that. But I was somewhere recently and everyone in the room wanted McKellen. I was like, is that all? Is that all you drink? I, I was like, could I get you to try something else? And it's, people are very married to their whiskeys. Yeah. Especially the previous generation to us, they're very like accustomed to, you know, a Johnny Walker or a Shivers or a Famous Grouse, and they don't drink anything else. Isn't it great that we're willing to? Yeah, think but I, also people have, you know, I mean, it's fine to sit around and 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 I love to do it too, taste different stuff. But I mean, I'm a, I drink scotch too. I mean, I'm a big Glenlivet 12 fan, and I, that's my go-to, like if I'm before dinner. And um, you know, I'm a, a powers drinker if I can if I can get it. And you know, most people have a like something that they go back to. I'm saying I'm not going to go out every night and try like four different whiskeys. It's just like I have my favorite at home. I mean, you know, there's always something that yeah. is always at the bar that I reach for. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that it's not that I'm not going to that I'm going right. to say every night I'm just going to have, you know, a right. bourbon because I may not. You may want something different. But I do think but I would hate to think that I had to pick one thing to drink for the rest of my life. That would be terrible. But but you what you say is so true. I mean, my mom always, you know, it's, it's scotch and it's and it's shivas. That's it. And for as long as I can remember, yeah. you know, as long as amazing. Yeah, but if, if that's what you like, that's what you... Somebody was telling me um, if when I was in Buster's at Christmas, I always go in and buy... It's just a little thing I do for, like, you know, the expensive liqueurs and things that I, I may not have at home or tomorrow or this sort of thing. I'll go just buy them for myself and say, okay, that's my little Christmas present. Let's go put them at the bar, and eventually, you know, I'll get around to them. But there was uh, some man in there who wanted... Um, beef eater gin which is what my stepfather drinks too and i i wanted to get him a big bottle and they were saying what are you buying this for an 80 year old and i said well yeah actually i am buying this for an 80 year old does nobody else drink beef eater gin and they said ah that but there are people who won't drink anything else and i didn't know there was anything wrong with it i, I don't know that there is i like beef eater gin yeah, the, the, the people in there thought i was buying it for somebody who'd been drinking that if you were Drinking gin now, you were drinking something different. But my stepfather, beef eater, is what he drinks too. And so was this other man. He said he wouldn't drink anything else. So apparently there's a big trend in Ireland now of gin. Gin's on fire. Gin is the... Gin, in Ireland gin, too. Gin is... It's gone crazy. All the millennials. I went to a restaurant last year with my brother and we were... The, and the whole gang of us went in. And I said, can I get a gin and tonic? And this guy produces a menu of... A gin menu. And it was... 50 gins and 15 or 16 different tonics and then garnishes and I'm like can I get a tanqueray and tonic like <laughs> <laughs> just want a gin and tonic with a lime in it you know. <laughs> but I have to say I kind of like things like that I love the idea of I mean like I love the Jack Rudy tonic I get it I mean it's fine but I don't and I don't like tonic out of a um yeah I like a I like a vodka tonic but I don't want my vodka I mean my tonic out of the gun because it's flat you know? I agree with that we use tonic out of the bottle we use the small yeah. bottles so. it makes such a difference yeah I mean and it is great if you have Jack Rudy but you don't have to and there's so many others I mean Jack Rudy's probably 10 years ago for some people we it's use, still just um, one of those Oh, I should remember, but I don't off the top of my head. So gin is big in Ireland yeah. now. We'll have to keep that in mind. And then we have, I would say, we have 30 
distinct gin distilleries yeah. in the country now. And that only happened in 10 years. That's impressive. Mm -hmm. So Guinness, the big beer, obviously. But now there are a, a lot of drinks. And, you know, we, we, we'll talk about this in just a second. But there's one that... I think you and I talked about DJ uh, last time I was in Celtic. I had this at some little Irish bar down on the Gulf Coast some years ago, and it was so good. And I thought that they called it a brown velvet, but maybe not. But it was champagne and uh, Guinness mixed together. Yeah, black, actually, black a black velvet, black velvet used to be champagne, and then they swapped the cider for champagne. So for us, a black velvet is with cider, but... Prior to that, it was actually with champagne. Huh. Okay. This was so, maybe 20, 25 years ago. But it, I so just it doesn't thought it was get great. served with champagne now, but I'm sure it could be It could be a, a drink we'll name after you. But it, yeah, it may make a, a, a renaissance. Half and half? Half and half would be lager. No, no, no. I'm saying, ha is it half champagne and half? Uh, I typically do two thirds. For me, a black, well, no, I don't, black and tan, I do three quarters for me and just a little Guinness. Got it. Um, there's so many now. There's. Mm -hmm black and blue there's a black and blonde what there, is it black and blue is that a blue moon blue moon mm -hmm. black and blonde is stella forget it's um yeah. blonde black and black and belgian is stella um there's a black uh, uh, come up with one a black and zoo is a black and the yazoo hef hefeweizen ah nice interesting but now when you say these are just things at celtic then these aren't everywhere well because... so, some of them are everywhere okay. but we've a few that come up ourselves but okay. like the black and tan the black and right, black and tan right. is not actually something you should order in ireland you shouldn't why not there's a little history behind that name um after during the war of independence mm -hmm. uh, so it would have been uh, post world war one so 18 before into so between between 18 and 1918 and 1921, it was a war of independence, and it was uh, Michael Collins and Eamon de Valera. Right. I don't know if you remember those names. And um, it was it was quite um, intense, um, and the English sent over these um, ex uh, World War One uh, conscripts. Um, they were um, veterans from. You know, mm -hmm. they had no jobs. And you know how it is when the war right. ends, everybody comes home. So they sent them all off to Ireland, and they didn't have enough uniforms for them. So they wore these, it was black, you know, uh, black pants and these oh. khaki, um, you know, Royal India uh, jackets. Tides. And uh, they were quite vicious, and um, um, they were quite a lot of brutal. Brutal. And quite brutal. Killed yeah. a lot of civilians. And, yeah. Not, not just come out of war themselves. Yeah. Death was it was cheap. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know. So, so there's well. a lot of yeah. It was not a it was not a not our not no. our shining moment. Well, it, it, we've we've kind of hit a low spot again. again. <laughs> yeah. We need to. We're trying to keep this a little bit upbeat. It's part of being Irish. Yeah. But it's but yeah. You see, this is the thing yeah. about being Irish that people seem to forget. People talk about you know um, what Southern America you know culture has right. uh, in 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 what it has in common with Irish culture, and it's uh, it's misery, it's really, <laughs> it's <laughs> death and destruction and slavery and yeah. and uh, you know indentured is... servitude and and um, yeah, I mean it's and yet we're all you know we we keep going yeah well, we, we move forward where it it's onwards and upwards right it's nearly Patrick's Day yeah and and it, hey 
and it is almost St. Patrick's Day. Now, the, but a black and tan, I want to go back to a black and tan. Black and tan is actually, the drink, though, is Guinness and Bass. Yeah, am I right? For that- us, it's Smithwick's finished with, uh, topped off with Guinness. But okay. historically, it was Bass topped off with Guinness. Right. Yeah. Well, all, uh, Bass, all and Smithic, of these- Bass and Smithwick's Ale are very similar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I have really uh, reduced my beer consumption so much in the past, I don't know, 10, 15 years. I mean, it used to be something I really enjoyed. And now there's so much of it that, one, I, I never feel like I'm ordering the right thing. It's like, what do I need to be trying instead? And, um, you know, I just, there's just other things to drink. But but I, I do like Guinness, and I would like to try some of these drinks. So maybe we'll have to do a... Uh, We'll do some of that maybe when we do paella later. Sure. Later yeah. with you. We Guinness. have we have we have other plans with these two uh, in 2019 too coming up. Let's just but, point out though that one of the things about Guinness that you should remember too is that, or about drinking beer in Ireland, is that there's a huge growth in microbreweries in Ireland like there is here. Craft brewing is 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 huge, and there are there's one pub in Stony Batter that. It was the first pub in Ireland to not serve Guinness, only served, uh, um, and it had a huge whiskey collection too. And, um, yeah. and they still don't serve Guinness. I mean, there's a lot of quite a few pubs that don't serve Guinness now, because uh, really? they, they consider it to be a you know mass produced. It's the Budweiser of, of Ireland. Plus, well, it's owned by the English, so you know there's the whole Brexit thing going on. Oh well, it is. I guess I'd forgotten about that, yeah. but it wasn't always, was it? It was, uh, well, it was owned by the Guinness family who were Irish, but, um, but they were loyalists to the, they were loyal to the crown. They were, um, they wouldn't be considered, well, that's unfair. They did a lot of stuff in Ireland, but they, they did, did a lot, lot of stuff, of but they would, um, things. Stevens Green, they would have been landed gentry, um, mm-hmm. you know, hold over from colonial times. Well, the, now it. Is Guinness still owned by Guinness? For some reason, I thought Anheuser Busch owned Guinness. No, Guinness is owned by Diageo. Yeah, it's Diageo who own a lot of the distilleries in Scotland. Well, Diageo has a huge portfolio, Portfolio. a lot of things, right? But didn't it it seems to me that Anheuser Busch bought one of the big European um, beer brands, but it doesn't come to mind which one that is. Well, Coors owns Heineken, I believe. Or Heineken owns a piece. Of, well, they're they're in partnership. Um, so Budweiser would be. I don't know. It wouldn't surprise me. I don't know either. I'll I will if I if I happen to look it up and I'll I'll put it on before we uh, before this airs. So I don't. Uh, or, or you can find out at the whiskey tasting. We'll tell you if I'm right or if I'm wrong. Yeah. Guys, thank you. Thanks for coming. Our pleasure. Yeah. I enjoy talking to you. I enjoy always enjoy talking to you. Patrick Riley, you can find him at the Majestic Grill. DJ Naylor at Celtic Crossing. Uh, he's in Cooper Young. Patrick's down on South Main. And you uh, will see them both at the Destination Delicious. Irish Whiskey, what are we calling it, DJs? I call it an Irish Whiskey Summit. He has a summit. <laughs> I'm calling it an extravaganza. Yeah, Patrick, do you have what would you call it? I would just call it heaven and earth. The <laughs> There'll be plenty of it. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Thanks for coming. Thanks very much. Thanks for having us. The Destination Delicious podcast is powered by the OAM Network. 
You can subscribe to this podcast and others from The Daily Memphian wherever you get your podcasts, including iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. You can subscribe to The Daily Memphian for only $7 a month at dailymemphian.com and find us on social media at Daily Memphian. In-depth journalism in the Memphis community, The Daily Memphian is of Memphis, not just in Memphis, and seeks to tell the stories of this city. TheDailyMemphian.com. Truth in place.